0: If you've uh, glanced at the uh, message notes, you're probably wondering how in the world will we ever get out of here? And we just thought that most of you um, mothers would love to miss your brunch so that you could listen to me preach for an hour and 40 minutes. Um, maybe not. No, seriously. Um, don't don't be alarmed. Um, we will not get through even... Two-thirds of that message outline today. This is going to be um, kind of a more in-depth introduction to what we want to talk about over the next seven weeks. And uh, so I, I want you to know that up front so that you're not just freaking out, okay? That being said, I am excited about this series that we're going to be doing. There was a novel that came out some time ago called Eating People is Wrong. You've all read that, right? Malcolm Bradbury. I used to be an English teacher. Okay. Eating People is Wrong. And one of the characters in this novel, Professor Treese, makes this observation. It's a funny age, isn't it? There are so many literatures, there are so many religions, there are so many cultures, there are so many philosophies that one doesn't know where to turn. And it is indeed a funny age in which we live. It's an age of religious pluralism. It's an age of ethical relativism. It's an age of social Tolerance above all else. Quite simply, it's an age of political, philosophical, and religious confusion. At least that's my take. It's a difficult age in which to be a sincere and devoted follower of Christ. Most people today assume that one religion is as good or as bad, as the case may be, as any other religion The late comedian Bob Hope expressed his view with a wisecrack. I do benefit performances for all religions, he said, because I'd hate to blow the hereafter on a technicality. Many people, many of us, whether we realize it or not, live by this principle. Whatever works for me or works for you must be true. Sociologist Robert Wuthnow has... Documented this trend in modern spirituality. He's a sociologist at Princeton University, and he writes this Spirituality is no longer true or good because it meets absolute standards of truth or goodness, but because it helps me get along, I am the judge of its worth. It is indeed a funny age in which you and I live. But it's no less funny or confusing than the age in which the Apostle Paul lived and wrote. Personal difficulties, the religious and philosophical uncertainties that we face, the social tensions that we're used to as followers of Christ, those are not unlike the same tensions, the same fears, the same confusions that these early followers of Jesus faced, particularly those in the small and relatively obscure city called Colossae, The Colossians' faith commitment ran counter to the prevailing cultural values. It was no less scandalous for believers in Colossae to stand against their culture's pervasive idolatry than it is for us. It was no less unpopular or politically incorrect for these early Christ followers to claim exclusive truth than it is for us to declare that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. And yet in his letter to this young, struggling, and I think confused church, the Apostle Paul doesn't hesitate to declare that everything, everything that anyone could want to know about God is found in Christ. And that this revelation of God in Christ is truer, is more moral, than any other religion or any other philosophy. Well, this was one of Paul's purposes for writing this letter. But he had another one in mind as well. A philosophy was circulating and apparently threatening this young church. We don't know how Paul heard about the problem. He probably heard about it from Epaphras, the missionary who established the church in Colossae and is mentioned in the letter. But regardless of how Paul found out about the problem he considered the news disturbing enough to write a letter. And this philosophy that he addresses in his letter has been referred to by many contemporary commentators as the Colossian heresy. And although little is known about it except that which we read between the lines in this letter, evidence suggests that it involved false thinking. Gnosticism is the uh, technical term, the acquisition of a hidden or secret knowledge as a way of knowing God. And also involved in Gnostic belief was this idea that somehow our soul and our body are disconnected from each other. So in other words, whatever I do with my body is okay because what really matters is my soul, my heart, what I believe. It also involved false works, religious ceremonialism. It also involved false worship, the worship of angels. And it involved false sacrifice. Extreme self-denial. It appears that this young church was being badgered by a group of people who espoused a philosophy that contained elements of paganism, mystery religion, folk religion, and superstition. A philosophy that sounds and is, by the way, very contemporary. Very contemporary. Have you ever met anyone, for example, who believes... That one only gets to know God to the degree that one gets to know God's messengers, God's angels. Have you ever met anyone who believes that religious rule keeping, worship practices, dietary requirements, fashion requirements are the key to true spirituality? That where we worship, how we worship, what we wear, what we eat, what we drink, that those things matter greatly. To God, Have you met anyone like that? Or perhaps you've talked to someone who believes that spiritual truth is only experienced to the degree that one is able to deny all worldly pleasures and abstain from all things that might bring joy and happiness. If you really want to know God, you've got to stay away from all of those things that distract you and get you off track. You can't have fun. You can't enjoy life And truly be a spiritual person. Have you ever heard that before? The truth is this Colossian heresy, this philosophy that Paul writes about lives on. It lives on and it's alive and well and it's flourishing in our culture. And I would argue that particularly in the Pacific Northwest and in other parts of the United States, some of this thinking that has been described as New Age is probably not really so new, after all. It's been around for thousands of years, and it's simply been dressed up in new clothes. The truth is, there is really nothing entirely new under the sun. Nothing. Well, Paul's overriding concern in writing this letter to the Colossians was to make sure that this philosophy, this heresy, would not undermine the believer's confidence and hope in Christ. So he writes not only to disarm the truth and the influence of this philosophy, but to bolster the Colossians' faith in the centrality, in the sufficiency, in the supremacy of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Before we get into this text next week, I want to say one more thing by way of introduction this morning. The best argument for Christian faith, the best evidence that Christ is real is and always has been for believers to live out their faith, to put flesh on their words, to act like Christ, the one that they believe in. As Paul says in verse 10 of this first section, to live a life worthy of the Lord, a life that pleases Him in every way. To live a life that is worthy of the Lord and pleases Him in every way. That could very well be the theme verse of this entire letter. So what does it mean to live a life that's worthy of God and is pleasing to Him? What does that mean? And that's what we're going to pursue over these next few weeks. What does that look like? And the truth is, until you and I stop merely paying lip service to our faith, until we begin to act like Christ and do the things He did... Until we begin to treat each other and those around us as Christ would, we will continue to have little or no positive impact on the world in which we live. That is the truth. We have got to figure out a way to live this faith out. We can sit for seven weeks and we can listen and we can learn, but unless we can put it into practice, it doesn't make any difference. That's my prayer. That's my prayer. Until we begin to preach the gospel at all times and, when necessary, use words, we will continue to be marginalized, to be ignored, or to be dismissed altogether. In these next few weeks, may God use Paul's letter to the Colossians, not only to challenge us, but more importantly, to incite something in us. Help us to begin to live for Christ, to begin to live a life that is worthy, that is truly worthy of God and pleasing to Him in every way. A life that makes a positive difference in us and in those around us. That's the goal over these next weeks, is that we might not only learn, but that we might be changed by this Word of God, by this letter that Paul wrote so long ago.